0: This is the ID Fanatic Podcast, coming to you from beautiful Midtown Toronto on Tuesday, July 13th, 2021, the podcast where we talk to real instructional designers for one half hour about their lives, their careers, and how they keep it all together. My guest today is Andrew Jacobs of London, England, performance consultant and CEO of LARN, started in 2020, another business started during the pandemic, who believes L&D should be an intrinsic part of business practice rather than a kind of service. Did I get that right?
1: Yeah, that sounds pretty much spot on, Mitch. That sounds pretty much spot on. Thank you for uh, having me on.
0: No problem. Welcome to the podcast. So I want to tell my listeners that you almost didn't come on. First, you wanted (laughs) to see if I included as many women as men in my guest list. Now, frankly, in the learning and development world, the challenge is to get a fair representation of men on the list. Uh, you also run the Women Talking About Learning podcast, which is intended to give women a voice. Now, personally, I've been working in L&D for 30 years, and I've been constantly surrounded by women. All of my managers, but one have been women, several project managers. Many of the e-learning firms I've worked for are owned by women. Most of my colleagues and the gurus in the space seem to be women. And most of the L&D people I meet on LinkedIn seem to be women. So... It seems to me like this is an industry where women <laughs> have plenty of opportunities to speak up. So I wonder how this has become such a signature issue for you.
1: Okay, so um, the the research is fairly clear. Is the the if you're a woman in the learning development industry, you're twice as likely to be in a junior role than in a senior role. And, and if you're a man, you're twice as likely to be in a senior role. And then literally it is two to one, um, pretty much really. Um, now, is that research
0: back. world, is that yeah. just in England or is that? No, the- no, no,
1: that's worldwide. That was carried out by um, uh, Donald Taylor, uh, Chair of the Learning Performance Institute. Um, you know, he, he does loads of uh, stuff like this. He, he recently did the, the Learning Technologies Digital Experience um, thing. And then he looks at stuff like this on an annual basis. And the research, I think it was 2017 off the top of my head, was fairly clear that it was two to one and that was global um
0: that's really surprising to me because it really seems like it's a female space a lot of the time
1: it's interesting though because the the we don't see this stuff until we until someone points it out to us so the it stood out to me so a couple of years ago um i made a a commitment that i wouldn't speak at events and exactly as you said i wouldn't speak on the podcast unless there was at least an equal split of men and female speakers um when you start going back historically, the Internet Wayback Machine is a really cool thing for this. Yeah. Um, just have a look and see who is speaking at events or who was speaking at events two, three years ago. And even look at events now. And it's not just in learning development, it's across all industries. Mm-hmm. Um they're predominantly male and predominantly white. So I just made a commitment that I wouldn't speak at an event on a podcast, contribute to a magazine or anything like that, unless there was at least an equal split of male and female speakers. Um, And it's really surprising that when you ask a question and actually have a look, you don't realize how few women are, their voices are being amplified.
0: Well, it's one thing to see a statistic reported and say, Oh, isn't that awful. It's another to make it your mission. So is there some other, Something else coming into this in terms of your experience, either with L and D or with uh, sexism in society. Yeah, I have worked in the, the public sector
1: in the UK primarily for the last goodness knows how many years um, in government, central government, local government. Uh, I've worked in the fire service. Um, you know, so I've worked in in sectors that have um, you know are, are about, yeah. social They're about social good, about um, social good, and. You know, that, that's one of my core values. So I realized that, well, actually, I was in a position to do something about it. You know, I have privilege. You know, I'm white, I'm male, and I have privilege. So because I have lots of people who follow me, you know, lots of people listen to the stuff I talk about, well, then actually, shouldn't I be doing something positive? And that's the difference. It's, it's between somebody saying, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not sexist to somebody actually actively doing something, and all I'm doing is just taking an active part, that's all.
0: How many conferences have you turned down?
1: Uh, I say no to every conference unless there's an equal split. So, um, when you go back to the the conference organizers, what's really interesting is they go, oh, that's really cool, okay, that's great, yeah, who would you recommend?
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh, Which which is is, is nice, yeah. Yeah, Well, yes, but they're saying it's your responsibility now because you brought it up. So I just fly it back at them. Cool.
1: So what's the topic that you want covered? Because I'm not going to just name a woman on a token basis. Because what happens is, is the same people get asked to appear at the same event um, all the time. Um, And they become the women who speak at events. And they're used by conference organizers to justify, you know, that they have female
0: representation. But I'm Um, also saying that they're deflecting the responsibility back to you, which is what People in power often do when a minority Absolutely. sort of issue is brought up. It's like, uh, Yeah. What was I? I remember Trump's press conference with there was a black reporter who uh, was asking whether, you know, was asking a question or something. And he, he said back to her, Oh, I'd love to have some more black people. Do you have any friends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not good. Um, but it's, yeah, we
1: need to give women more role models. I did, I did an episode around the imposter syndrome, which was a, a really interesting episode. So I just said to, to women, um, tell me your experience of imposter syndrome. Um, give me a three-minute recording. And I had 25 women sent me three-minute recordings to do four-minute recordings, which all I did was compile together. And a common thing that came out from that was there was a lack of role models. There was a lack of women for them to look up to, say, well, they've done it so I can do it. So the point of the podcast is to role model more women, not necessarily the same women.
0: Now, the fact that you're a man who's running the show uh, and maybe has a reputation, do you, has that lifted the profile of the thing? Or what influence do you think that's had on things? That's
1: a really good question. and I have no idea. It, it helped to get it started. Yeah, I mean, my target was only ever to have 5, 500 listens. Yeah, I just wanted to get 500 listens on the podcast. If 8, 10, 12, 15 people listen to an episode, brilliant. Yeah, all I wanted was to just put eight or ten episodes together and see what happened. Um, We're now uh, almost five thousand listeners. We listen to in fifty nine countries.
0: So I want to ask most people this question: What did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) I wanted to be a pilot because I thought pilots were cool, like in the air force. No, just or just yeah, well, commercial pilot.
1: And then I realized that all pilots were were just glorified taxi drivers. There's any pilots (laughs) listening to this? You'll just
0: uh, sort of. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely, absolutely yeah no no it's just a... so was that like when you yeah. were eight or ten years old or yeah that, that was, yeah, I was only about eight or ten years old something like that what about in high school
1: i was interested in becoming a teacher and i was put back i was told by um uh all my teachers um don't be a teacher it's you know it's it's not um it's not something that that um we think that you should do <laughs> and i don't know if that why would they say that <laughs> I have no idea. I think it's because they thought I was a really shy person. No, that's
0: not I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, you
1: know, I, I was painfully shy at some point. And, yeah, you know, I would put myself introverted, introverted on that scale. Um, but, yeah, I never had any, you know, I, I thought about teaching. And, you know, my first job, you know, really out of school was I, I was a butcher.
0: I saw that in your bio. So I wanted to tell you my grandfather was a butcher and most of his uh, brothers and his father... <laughs> They they were in Poland and they they were butchers and they like families tended to have uh, you know a profession and uh, and then you were also a yeah, so was a entertainer. children's entertainer so yeah, tell me so, about that um, uh,
1: I used to do children's birthday parties uh, I was dressed as uh,
0: an odd yeah, for an yeah. Inter- well, this was the
1: thing I was hiding underneath a three-foot foam head so. You know, I could be
0: anybody. (laughs) They just show up for a few minutes. Show up for an hour and play hide
1: and seek and stuff, you know. Quite funny, sort of like, you know, covering your eyes, which were actually two foot above your your head, you know, and counting. Yeah, yeah, quite cool.
0: Now, you spent seven formative working years with the London Fire Department. One might say that's where your training skills and attitudes were forged, so to speak. (laughs) Forgive the pun. Uh, Yet, you say you worked remotely and mainly dealt with people. yeah. So tell us what that job was like. It sounds like an unusual arrangement. Yeah,
1: it was. So that the fire service was moving from a uniform service, and, and I joined as a non-uniform member of staff. And the point of our role was to bring in a new qualification framework. So we're moving from an exam-based system to vocational qualifications. You know, we talk about firefighters, you know, probably only 2% of their time is spent actually um you know an operational incident so the, the remaining 98 percent of their time what are they doing um you know they're preparing they're training they're doing community fire safety etc so you know there had to be something in about how people's jobs change were changing um that needed to reflect that and obviously yeah this was in the the late 90s early 2000s as well
0: so it wasn't necessarily just a training focus
1: i learned a massive amount there about the impact of training and that's sort of i like started thinking about how training impacts across a range of different things so there's a, a phrase i talk about is training needs to move from being a shopkeeper to an engineer um and we get very hung up very often in provision of stuff from the training side yeah you know, someone says we need to help our people learn how to do something um yeah you know, and we did loads of stuff when i worked in the fire service but actually a lot of stuff didn't need to be done what it was was much more about changing the nature of conversations and i learned an awful lot there about um it's not always about delivering something, but it's helping people change.
0: You seem to have gotten into management roles early in your career. Did you ever just do uh, instructional design?
1: So this is the thing. So, so you know, it's a bit of a con here, really, Mitch, because, you know, this is an ID podcast and I'm not an ID. So, but I do ID as a core part of stuff that I do. And what I think is interesting is the you know how people get to do what they do. So before the fire service I worked in the banking industry. I was designing courses using um OHP acetates. So for the people out there who are way too young, it was a bit of plastic that you put on top of a big lamp thing that used to then go present it up onto a wall. You know my first training job that I got I photocopied an acetate and the people in the room were like, Wow, yeah, you know, this was amazing. It's through you know, of technology. With his idea of <laughs> You know, rather than Exactly, yeah. Look at this technology. Look at the way this guy's using technology to deliver training. Um, you know, so I was working and I was looking at the principles of instructional design, you know, in the face-to-face environment and, and early technology. You know, we're talking we're about 91, something like that. And what I think is really interesting is to look and see how that technology has moved on and how some of the principles that we we're using are still stuck to maybe the old school technology that we had before.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Things really take a long time to change. It's like uh, when I started, uh, I was attracted to e-learning at the very beginning. And one of the reasons was that you could deliver training without being there. You could, you know, prepare it and everybody gets the same experience. Or you could make it so that people get a more customized experience. and like, I thought that by now, like all the schools and everything would be sort of organized around these learning hubs where people could go in and do their own thing. And then you'd have maybe social things happening separately and you'd have, you know, a totally different organized thing. And, and people didn't take the learning seriously in, until the pandemic had <laughs> everybody had to do it. <laughs> so sometimes, there, you know, it takes a paradigm shift or some kind of cataclysmic event to, to yeah. Really put
1: a fire under things so so I've been describing it so in the past we used to do just in case learning so we did learning just in case something happened so you know we did learning so just in case somebody said something inappropriate you could say well hang on they did the you know the the equalities training so you know that was it it was just in case mentality then we moved from there to a just in time mentality um And a lot of that happened with the new technology. So, you know, we think about iPads, for example, and the ability to access content in a very, very different way. You know, the iPad only came out 2009, so 12 years ago. But we're then working to, you know, at a point when I needed to look something up and, and the use of information, um, you know, came in into the way that we need to think about designing. Then what came from that was what I call Just For Me training where people didn't want everything. They wanted it personalized and they wanted just the stuff that they needed. And from an ID perspective, that then becomes really challenging because what you have to do is to meet the individual needs, but not the needs of everybody. What we've moved on to, and I think what's really interesting has happened as a result of the pandemic. And I think the the, the paradigm shift as you, as you call it, is it is now we're into just enough learning. So we're into the point now yeah. where people don't want to do an Excel course. What yep. they do is they want to go onto YouTube type in, how do I create a pivot table? And it is just enough information for them at that point in order for them to be able to do it. And that's the the big challenge for IDs now is that in the past, yeah, we can design everything.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I use the YouTube for that as well. For instance, I've just started using Premiere Pro in my job now. I've, I've worked with video editors before, and I understand what it's doing and how to do it. I just don't know how this particular piece of software does it, so great. A one-minute YouTube video is really all I need. It's not because I'm learning Premiere Pro bit by bit. It's because I already have a base of knowledge and I just want to add to it. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to go and talk about your daily blog for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. When I talked to Andrew last week, he mentioned that he does this daily blog, which I thought was incredible. So it's telling me you're a very disciplined person. you're Mm. You're a very... organized person you're a very committed person
1: um thank you I'll, t- I'll take all of those that's very kind of you the blog is not written for anybody except me um and there's a couple of reasons for that so one reason is i run um not much at the moment but i run and if you want to run faster then you have to run faster um and if you want to write better then you have to write more it's that simple so the blog makes me write better and it
0: forces the discipline
1: of having to write something.
0: Do you review them after you've, they're out there for a while?
1: Um, I do some, yeah. So an idea will come up and I'll I'll write about it. And then you know, 15 months later, an idea will come up. And I'll think, have I written about that? And you go, well, actually, I did do a bit about that, but I didn't cover this part of it. So I'll reference back to stuff that I've done before. And that's, the, that's another reason why I do it. It's, it's to help develop my thought. And what effectively I'm doing is I'm working out loud. So all my notes and sketches and thinking and yeah. comments and opinions and stuff are just being recorded out there in the big wide world. They aren't long. The, the shortest blog is one word. It's called brevity, and the blog says matters.
0: I see. So it's two it's, words. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. title.
1: Yeah, a title and, and, and content, yeah.
0: Now, in the 1990s, there was a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, uh, which talked about morning pages. And a lot of writers are familiar with this in that you sit down in the mornings and you just cough out a bunch of pages or words to clear your head, kind of, because uh, you wrote a blog called Creativity, where you say the creativity is a skill and behavior. It needs to be worked on the same as any core skill. I saw it described like a tap. You have to turn it on and keep it on to let all the bad creative stuff come out before the good happens. Now, you attributed that to Julian Shapiro, and I'm mentioning this because you wrote another blog about attribution. She, in turn, attributes it to Ed Sheeran and Neil Gaiman because they were describing their processes. But in my thinking, they probably read the artist's way. <laughs> I don't know. is, is it does it have anything to do with that?
1: Sometimes. Yeah, the blog post that, that was published today was to do with your social media profile, and, and it's called anti-social media. You know, it's following the, the football. This is was recorded the night after England lost the, um, the European Championship final. It was a response to people posting highly obscene comments on social media. And then that happened at about half past 11 last night. You know, just, they are right. I need to write about this. Bam, bam, bam.
0: Uh, to give people a taste of your blog. Now, I had some interest in, entries I was interested in talking about, but I don't want to spend time on them. One of them was you had a top 10 list of learning tools. Uh, which is a response
1: to... It's, it's Jane, it's Jane Hart. Yeah, every year she pulls together the the top 100 or 200 now tools for learning. Um, and so she invites people to uh, tell her which tools that they use.
0: Okay, so that's Jane Hart. People can look her up and contribute to that if they want. You also had one about asynchronic questions, which is an interesting issue. It has to do with the fact that your e-learning courses are delivered with nobody there but you. And if you have questions that come up, there ought to be other ways of dealing with them than just whatever's in the program. Uh, You mentioned a couple of things like Yammer or Teams or comments. I've seen people using Slack. And I'm thinking of doing something in my company where there's a chat bot in the thing that can answer common questions, or even maybe a hotline where you can send an email out to the training department and they'll find an answer for you. So that's uh, an interesting topic. But I've found one blog that I thought was really interesting because it's kind of like a free verse poem. So uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to put on my hipster shades and maybe a beret and a turtleneck and uh, turn on some cool jazz and read this blog post from Andrew Jacobs from the last within the last few weeks called "Real." <laughs> Make it real. Dream it real. Design it real. Deliver it real but your reality isn't consistent with my expectations my expectations aren't consistent with your perceptions your perceptions are based on your reality not mine we're told to keep it real really whose reality so andrew what are you up to with this
1: my problem is that i say the word e-learning and immediately people will have perceptions about e-learning okay and those perceptions will have been formed by their experience for the person who's seen dozens of pages of e-learning and click next if you say we're going to design e-learning their thought is oh my god why would i choose to want to do that for the person who's got vr they're going to be thinking great how do i make vr work within this space for the person who's you know thinking about the images, they will be going, okay, right. Well, will need to go and get some stuff here, and we're already thinking about what the reality is going to be at the end. The reality should be based on what our expectations are in terms of performance, not based on the design principles that we've stuck to previously.
0: Well said. So I'm going to add a couple of uh, personal questions to see how manage everything. What's your family situation?
1: Um, so I live in London with my wife, my two sons, my son's girlfriend, and two cats. It's
0: a full house. It's a very full house, yeah.
1: Put it this way. There's always somebody around to do the washing up.
0: How old are your kids? <laughs> 20 and 25. Everybody fits in the house, eh? Are You're not, you not in central London, where are you? No, no,
1: no. I'm in east London.
0: So that's a big house. Yeah, it's you good.
1: There. It's good. Like I said, there's always somebody to wash up. I do all the cooking. You have a yard? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We've got a garden, a... but I'm really lucky. So literally, I can head out my front door. Upper right and within five minutes i'm in the middle of uh, something called wetlands a Walthamstow wetland, a wetlands which is just about i don't know it's about 100 acres 150 acres of reservoirs and pathways and wildflowers and, wildflowers and wild birds and it's a little oasis in the middle of northeast london so if i ever fancy so just getting out i'll literally i'll just go for a wander down there and i can just sit and watch all the birds go by and listen to the bumblebees and it's just uh you know a little haven away from everywhere if i want to i can get on my bike and 10 miles up the road that way i'm in the middle of Hertfordshire, or 10 miles down that way i'm right in the middle of london down by the Thames. how long you been there ages and ages moved here in the late 80s lived here for a long time
0: good is your wife uh working yeah is she working from home yeah
1: no she's um she's a a teaching assistant it's interesting actually because i've had this conversation with a few people so We keep hearing about hybrid working and people working and, and, you know, remote working and so on. I'm lucky that I'm working from home. You know, I don't have to go into an office anywhere. Um, You know, I'm a a knowledge worker. My wife is a skill worker. She goes to a school and she helps children in the school. She's a, a high level teaching assistant. She can't work flexibly. My eldest son is a supervisor in a tool shop. So he still has to do that. My son's girlfriend is a carer. She can't work from home. She has to go to the homes of the people that she's providing the support for. And My youngest son, uh, he's in university or college, and he's been pretty much remote for the whole time. However, the topic he's doing is sports science coaching. So he can't do that fully remotely. He has to physically interact with people. And I just find it interesting that when we're talking about, you know, all work's going to be hybrid and remote, um well actually 80 percent of my family won't be working hybrid and remote um i'm just the lucky 20 percent that can and we need to think about that when we're thinking about designing training
0: how would you rate yourself on work-life balance well, really strong really strong yeah it seems like uh what do you do to stay sane uh, you i'm a gamer working? i play on the playstation how about that you've been a gamer for a long time yeah, i mean you
1: know i grew up when you know we had pong yeah, the first games, so you know, to have a PS4 or PS5, as my son's got now, it's like, yeah, okay, that's cool. I
0: remember traveling in England, I was in Wales in a little pub, they had Space Invaders on the uh, on the video console, yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> yeah,
1: cool. I could have been before then, 78.
0: You must be a fan of the movie Clear One. I've never seen
1: it, no, I've never seen it, really. Oh, yeah, oh, you I, should watch that. I don't, I don't that. watch much tele or films. <laughs> I've got to be honest i mean i watch films more than i will television i've got no understanding of um, pop culture never seen the sopranos uh, yeah i've never seen frozen you know i've missed out on you know tens of years of disney films i've watched some marvel films yeah there's so much i've got no contact no. with um you know what's happening in the real world
0: <laughs> yeah but if you've been paying attention to gaming yeah, yeah, all these yeah. years yeah, there's absolutely. lots and lots but, of references uh, yeah. in there so that's the two-minute warning. To wrap up, I'd like to ask a 10-question survey yep. that's a kind of personality check. Uh, it was created for a French TV show and then used on the actor Studio in the US, and now it's mine. So the mm-hmm. idea is, say, the first thing pops into your head. What's your favorite word? Oh, orange. Because nothing rhymes with it?
1: It's my favorite color. Uh, nothing rhymes with it. It's slightly unique.
0: It's your least favorite word. Free. turns you on creatively spiritually or emotionally music turns you off
1: I don't know it's rare for anything to turn me off I've got to be honest there's, there's creativity in everything
0: what's your favourite curse word <laughs> I rarely curse poo probably Oh, poo. what sound or noise do you love
1: there's loads um baby's laughing is just phenomenal i cannot help laugh when i hear a baby laughing
0: sounds or noise do you hate i'll tell you one that does
1: there's a tiny rattle that comes from the, the glove box on my wife's car and it's been going for about 18 months now and i cannot find where it is that's causing it there's something in there that's rattling and I've taken stuff out, and I've moved it about. I think it might be one of the hinges, but it is rattling. That's, that annoys me.
0: Uh, what profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt?
1: I don't think I've got one. but I'm probably too long in the tooth now to think about
0: changing. What profession would you like not to do?
1: Uh, anything sewage-related, probably.
0: Finally, the heaven question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Not a question for me. I'm uh, yeah. atheist. Don't uh, have a belief there. <laughs>
0: Everybody wants to get into heaven there,
1: and no, they're more than welcome to. <laughs> but for me, no, doesn't have a meaning. <laughs> Good
0: stuff. All right, I'll let you go. Cool. Appreciate your time, Mitch. That was fun. Appreciate yours.
1: Cool. Let me know when you're Take publishing,
0: you. and I'll, I'll put it out on the uh, socials. Yeah, it should be Tuesday. Awesome. which is tomorrow oh cool. <laughs> <There you
1: go. laughs> right, I might have put on the socials because I've got mine going out tomorrow but there you go
0: <laughs> yeah you don't want do to all right speak to you soon take care Mitch see you soon bye bye the ID Fanatic drops every Tuesday at noon eastern time if you had a good time please subscribe and let me know what you think on Podbean or Apple or by contacting me Mitch Moldovsky, on LinkedIn You can also follow my company page, The ID Fanatic, for updates and occasional free stuff. I sincerely hope that you and yours have a totally awesome week. Bye, bye, bye.